Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and holographic butterfly Connie is going to tell us all about Randy Woodfield. Randy Woodfield? Randy Woodfield? Yep. <laughs> Randy Woodfield, the I-5 killer in episode 43. Uh, we're almost done with our first year. Isn't that so gnarly? Yeah, we're less than 10 away from one year's worth of material, guys. Yeah, and I should uh, brag on Meg for just a second because the holographic butterfly that I am, she made holographic gnarly Lisa Frank-inspired stickers for the August Sticker of the Month Club, and they are so dope. They're so cool, guys. Like- I have been geeking out about them all day long we're actually and for I, like weeks now but and the thing that like is i don't think people understand is you design all of these you make them they're so awesome i have no hand in it at all i just say yeah that's awesome <laughs> we should do this <laughs> i send you pictures and i'm like is this cool is yeah this cool? and they always are um our sticker of the month patrons have more of these stickers than i do because I also suck at getting them. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I purposely am a, I am a Patreon subscriber. So I remember to get like, make one for myself. My husband's like, a Patreon subscriber, but I don't think his broke ass is doing the, <laughs> the sticker of the month here. Up it up. But yeah, that's my Patreon, Patreon, patron plug of the week. So check <laughs> them out because they're super awesome. And and they will go out this week, actually. I should also add that because we're almost to our one year, Meg and I have long talked about once we get to one year, a lot of our our favorite episodes are going to be archived. So either listen while you can or subscribe so you can listen whenever you want. I think our first two are going to be definitely archived maybe i don't know but we're still figuring it out we're still figuring (laughs) it out but episodes will be archived so just that but anyways i digress i am a huge trash tv fan yeah it started back in high school when we would like hang out at your dad's and we'd watch laguna beach and laguna beach was so good within the last few years i have reluctantly I was I put up a fight for a long time against it, but I started watching the Real Housewives franchise. <laughs> They're crazy. Crazy. Like crazy. A level of crazy that I can subscribe to. So what I do <laughs> is I watch an episode and then all of the big drama because I started from like Real Housewives of New Jersey was the first one I watched. So this was like years and years ago. So I would watch an episode, all of the drama has already unfolded. And then I would Google, like, what, what has happened? Like, what happened with it? Like, you know, because it's been so long. So I watched Real Housewives of Dallas for just a hot second, but I started following some of them on Instagram just so I could further dive into this <laughs> whole. I say that as I, I hardly follow anybody, and a lot of it's like trash TV people. <laughs> All the Kardashians, all the real housewives. Yes. So if you're ever wondering, like, what does Connie do on Instagram? She's not posting very often. 
That's what she does. This is what I'm doing. I'm stalking Real Housewives wives. You know, I, I it's not Real Housewives, but I follow Spencer from Laguna Beach because he's a weird hummingbird crystal man. And I was just mm-hmm. like, you're so weird. And I like it. <laughs> when he started doing all of his crystals, I was like, do I need to do crystals? And then I was like, <laughs> that's no. how influencers work. <laughs> yeah, I'm very influenced. Like I'm very <laughs> easily influenced. I'm easily influenced. So One of the housewives from Dallas, her name is Stephanie Holman. Um, She posted a Valentine's Day tribute to her husband, Travis. And she was like, you are the only person I know that has been babysat by a serial killer and survived. So I did. I was like, whoa, what the hell? Now I have to research this. And then then I fell into the rabbit hole. So apparently when Travis Holman was a little kid, they lived in Oregon. And Travis's parents were really good friends with the coach of the Portland State University football team. When all of the parents wanted to go out, the coach pulled his coach card and he would have football players come over to babysit for like all of the kids, which is like a pretty gnarly ability to have, like to be like, (laughs) hey, you're going to come babysit or you're going to run or whatever he said. It feels like an abuse of power. It, a little bit. It, yeah. I know. <laughs> this is cool thing to have, but uh. this is like the late, like mid 70s. So, yeah, again, it probably wouldn't fly today. Like yeah. maybe one kid you could get to do it, but yeah. So, the babysitter in question was called one of the best babysitters. He'd play hide and seek, he was very active, very kind. And he babysat Travis and his sister multiple times. To them, it was super cool because, you know, college athletes are like celebrities to a lot of kids. And imagine like how pumped they were to find out that this football player would eventually be drafted by the Green Bay Packers. So it's like awesome. It's like this kid is awesome. No, he's not. The football player babysitter he wouldn't go on to have a legacy for being a top-notch Hall of Fame NFL player. He wouldn't even play a single game in the NFL. Instead, his legacy would be much, 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 much darker. So when you Google his name, you're not going to see like football stats and how great he was. You're going to see the name and the news of the I-5 killer, Randall Woodfield. Which can you? That's a that's a pretty big fall from grace. Uh, yeah, I'm like that's what I'm thinking. How does this superstar college athlete getting drafted into the NFL? Yeah, and honestly, be a serial killer. As I go on, you're going to be like, "What the hell?" Because this is not a situation where we're going to be like, "Oh my gosh, he had everything was very horrible." Like we don't. Like, obviously, what he did isn't good, but, like, we could see, like, where the psychology would have went wrong. No, there's none of that. There's nothing. So, Randall Woodfield was born on December 26th, 1950, to his parents, Donna and Jack Woodfield, in Salem, Oregon. His dad worked as a manager for the Pacific Northwest Bell Telephone Company. Um, He was gone a lot due to his job, so his mom was the boss. He had two older sisters, and 
they were able to do a lot more things than he was because they were older. Like no favoritism. It's just they were older. So they had more privileges, you know, typical teenage stuff. But Randall could not wrap his head around it. He thought that his sisters were favored. He thought that they had something that he didn't. He couldn't figure it out. He wasn't beaten. Both of his parents loved him, but sometimes that's just not enough. You see, for Randall, what he saw was a world dominated by women who were able to do things that he wasn't allowed to do or that were in complete control of everything he could and couldn't do. And he felt like his mom set standards that were entirely too high for him to meet, and he never knew what was exactly expected of him. Randall, who preferred to go by Randy, so I'm going to call him Randy, not because that's what he preferred, but just because it's easier to say. (laughs) He was described as quiet and soft-spoken. He was always kind, gentle, polite, respectful towards other people. He had a few... quote, typical teenage outbursts with his parents or his sisters, typical, you know, boy stuff. Randy did well in school. He had lots of friends. His family was stable. His parents loved each other. They loved their kids. Randy had a good relationship with his dad. They did a lot of things together. So all of this is like 10 out of 10 wholesome content. And as we realize every week, you can screw your kids up by neglecting them, abusing them, And they could turn out to be psychopaths. But you can also love your kids, do everything to help your kids succeed, and they can still turn out to be psychopaths. This is a (laughs) lose-lose. Having kids is a (laughs) (laughs) lose-lose. I'm obviously joking, but... (laughs) The only way to ensure that you won't have a child as a psychopath is to not have any children. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Makes perfect sense. Obviously, we're joking. We... (laughs) with our multiple children (laughs) with our multiple children we have around the houses so randy hit puberty and like all boys all girls sexual feelings started to emerge only this is the 1960s so people weren't as open with like hey you're gonna start having these feelings or these are the kinds of things that are gonna start happening to your body these are the thoughts you may uh start to have and randy felt like he didn't have anyone he could talk to But honestly, as teenagers, don't we all feel like that? That no one understands you. You're the only. No one gets me. No one understands what you're going through. So it's not really an excuse to get out of all the shit that he's going to be getting into. And like I said, we don't even have the you could feel bad for him as a kid like we usually do with serial killers because he didn't have pretty good comparatively. Like, how dare your parents love you as much as they did, Randy? (laughs) Sorry you had older sisters. (laughs) And Randy was, like, really athletic. Not like your normal athleticism, just, like, all the package. I'm not that athletic, so I don't know what all goes into the mold of being, like, super athletic. But he was. And even as early as junior high, he was showing a lot of promise. He was easily one of the best football players in his area. And it was the common consensus that he was going to do great things both on and off the field. But to Randy, he felt like he had no control of his life. He thought, how can I act, act on these sexual fantasies that I'm having as well as feel like I have some control of my life? 
So he started to expose himself to random women. And he would later. As a teenager? As a teenager. Okay. Barely to high school age. Someone like pull that boy by the ear. Yeah. Just like walk him. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. He would later say that it wasn't even the like rush of, oh my God, I'm doing something bad that he liked about it. It was the look on women's faces as he would expose his junk for them to see. And then he would just like run off like nothing happened. <laughs> it's like a like a flasher. That's exactly. What it is. Yeah, he's like a I flasher. I thought about, have you ever watched Porky's? Yeah, it's been a while though. So on Porky's, when Pee Wee is like sticking his dick in the hole and the, <laughs> <laughs> the lady comes and grabs it, it's not funny. You shouldn't uh, show not yourself. Funny. But it is like that. It's a movie. I, it's not real. It's not real. But I was just thinking what I would do if like a 14 year old just came and was like, I'm doing a weird dance move. That <laughs> she you guys did a weird can't dance. See. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd be like, I'd probably like throw a rock at him or something. I'd be like, get out of here. Go yeah. home. But it's a small town, so it was only a matter of time before he flashed someone that was like, hey, Randy, (laughs) (laughs) we know it's you. The hell's wrong with you? I'm calling your mother. When he did get caught, he was arrested, but because he was a minor, his record, the charges wouldn't stay on his record after he turned 18. His record would be expunged. His parents put him in therapy because they're good parents. And they're like, hey, what's wrong with my kid? He showed his dick to everyone. (laughs) Sorry. It's really funny the way you said it. (laughs) The therapist told them that he was just exploring his newfound sexuality and it was all part of puberty. That is not part of puberty. I don't. I mean, like, being like, hey, look at this. Maybe, but not like flashing random people on the street to be like, oh, I like the way the women look when they're surprised. Yeah. I'm not a therapist, so I don't know. The- <laughs> Maybe it is. Who knows? Maybe it is. And now I'm, if that is part of puberty, Maybe I'm really nervous. Maybe it was nervous. in like 1967 or whenever it was. My son informed me tonight that he was starting puberty because he smelled so bad after soccer practice. And if this is what I have to look forward to, I'm cut. Like, I'm stopping it. No puberty allowed in this household. You won't be going through puberty here, son. So eventually the flashing became yesterday's news. People eventually forgot high school came. And he was everything his small town needed him to be. He was an academic standout. His favorite subject was math. He was extremely popular. He dated popular girls. He was an all-star football player with aspirations of playing in the NFL. But, you know, if that was the end of it, him going off to the NFL and being happily ever after, we wouldn't be covering him in this podcast. So Randy graduated, and in 1969, he enrolled in Treasure Valley Community College, which is a public community college in Ontario, Oregon, where he played football, obviously. So... The one thing that like I tried looking for, like looking for, and I couldn't find was if he was so, like so good, why he went to a community college, why he was like a walk on, not to like discredit community colleges, because honestly, 
save your money, get your prereqs done there. But as far as like scholarships and football go, I was a little confused by that. Like I would think he would go to at least like a D3 college. Hmm. So what was the college called? Uh, Treasure Valley Community College. Oh. It's like the hmm. Ivy Tech in Ontario. <laughs> yeah, I um, I just know that colleges worked a little bit differently at that time. Yeah. I don't know so, how they worked, why, but I, I just didn't... know that. It was different. Yeah, it was different. Sorry. But he, he tra- in 1970, he transferred to Portland State University, where once again, he played football as a wide receiver. His football coach, Gary Hamlet, said he was the nicest, most gentlemanly kid he ever knew. That was his word, not mine. He was quiet and polite, hardworking, and real coachable. Just a real coachable kid. What he didn't say was one of the reasons why Randy transferred was at his last college, he was dating a girl named Sharon McNeil. She broke up with him like typical shit in college, and he lost his mind. Right after he broke up, someone, someone broke into her bedroom at her parents' house, vandalized it, and they only stole a stuffed animal that Randy had given her. So I'm positive it wasn't Randy that did it, but (laughs) he he would never. He would never. Immediately, he was considered a prime suspect because her parents and her were like, hey, I just broke up with him. Like, this is what happened. But they didn't have any physical evidence. So he was never charged. and He was set on his way. Now, Portland State was a smaller school. So NFL scouts were beating the doors down to pay close attention to their players. But Randy still put all of his time in in, and he was focused on making his dream a reality. He excelled athletically, but... Once he got to college, he went from being like a standout academic student to just middle of the road. You know, C's get degrees. I'm a firm believer in that. So nothing like major there. Also, he's probably focusing on the football stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But once again, he started exposing himself to random women. And eventually he was arrested when he was in Washington State flashing people in 1972. He was given a suspended sentence. Nothing further came from it. Back on campus, he upheld his image of perfection. He was, quote, good-looking, charming, soft-spoken. No one on campus knew that their football star was a serial flasher that was literally terrorizing the Pacific Northwest (laughs) because everywhere he went, he was flashing people. (laughs) He was arrested a few times for indecent exposure, but he never served jail time. He was never made to do any further counseling. His football coaches never had any idea that he had been arrested, which it's, again, this is before the days of the internet where, you know. Like the whole time you're talking about serial flashing, all I can, all I keep thinking about is like, now it's like you get a dick pic. That's what it is. But then you just had to. Take yeah. the internet outside, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no DMs I, to slide into. Just IRL. <laughs> Which it doesn't make it any better. It's it's gross. 
it's still a, it's still assault. It's harassment. It's not assault because I'm telling but it's harassment. Yeah, it's and it's yeah. still like it's gross. Even unsolicited dick pics are gross. If you're a guy and you're listening, if you're a girl and you're listening and you're just sending nudes if they're not asking for it, still unsolicited. Consensual nudes. Enthusiastic consent from both sides. Please Please send me nudes. You're sending nudies. Mm. (laughs) I guess it's because like I were, I mean, I, you know, We've had this conversation before. I it, it's something that like I have been a part of, you've been a part of, like it's kind of our generation. I think our generation is the OG nude senders. Like we were the yep. ones who were like te- cuz texting just started becoming a big thing. But if someone like if I would have been able to like look at myself, my past self and be like, "Hey, this is what hey, don't don't Stop. send your nudes because this is what could happen. I probably still would have done it anyway because <laughs> no one can tell me nothing. It's no one can 17. tell me nothing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. We yeah. absolutely. If future, if us now time traveled and we were like, hey, don't send anyone your nudes, we would be like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> oh, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> That's I still live my life like that, which is part of my issue. So 1973, old Randy hit his athletic peak. Scouts from the Green Bay Packers did come to Portland State University looking for players, specifically Randy, wide receiver. His coach got a lot of heat because the scouts were talking to him about Randy. And they were like, yeah, he's fast. He's good. But man, he doesn't do well when he gets hit. He's not good at getting hit, which same. Like, I wouldn't be a good football <laughs> player because of that. But it didn't matter. 1974, the NFL draft. He was drafted in the 17th round as the 428th all-around pick by the Green Bay Packers. He signed a contract in February of 1974, but he didn't make it through training camp. He didn't even – he couldn't pass – I don't know if you pass it, but, like, he couldn't hang – so he was cut before he ever played an NFL game. Honestly, st- that's how I would want to be drafted is like almost last, get the paycheck, but you're probably not going to play. <laughs> yeah. I don't need a lot of money, but like the lowest paid people in the NFL still make like $250,000 a year. So I'm here. I can, I, again, we said it last time. I could sit on a bench, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with that. I don't need I don't need to be famous or good. You could spell my name wrong on the back of my jersey. I don't care. Just give me that paycheck. So he, like I said, he never played a game for the Green Bay Packers. Instead, he played for the Manitowoc Chiefs which is a semi-pro football team. Fun fact, same area where making a murderer, all of that happened. Happened. In 1974, he had a dozen more flashing incidents that was bringing a lot of unwanted attention to him. So the Packers were like, yep, you're done. Officially, no contract. You're done. Get out. Go back to Portland. So that was like their minor league. So they still yeah. ran them. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So naturally, this heightened all of the shit that he was doing. 
He returned to Portland, and by 1975, there were several women who were held at knife point, forced to perform oral sex, and were robbed. The police decided to trap him by having female officers act as decoys and having the money marked. So when he held a female officer at knife point, he was arrested. He was caught with the marked bills. He admitted to the crimes. He said that he had poor, he had issues with poor sexual impulse control, which he blamed on his use of steroids. He pled guilty that year to a reduced charge of second degree robbery and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was released in July of 1979 on parole after serving four years. I was like, that's not very long. Mm-mm. During at the knife f- point? At knife point. During the four years that he was in prison, Randy wrote letters to Sherry Ayers. And on October 9th, 1980, a little over a year after he was paroled, Sherry was found raped and murdered in her apartment. She had been bludgeoned and repeatedly stabbed in the neck. They had known each other since second grade. Her parents knew that she had been writing to Randy while he was in prison, so they gave his name to investigators. He refused to sit for a polygraph, but he would sit for the questioning. They found his answers evasive and deceptive, but when the DNA results came back, his blood didn't match the semen that was found in her body, so no charges were filed. What? Well, different time. Different time. (sighs) Wasn't as good as it was then. A little over a month later, the bodies of Darcy Fix and Douglas Altig were found bound and shot to death, execution style. Her thirty-two revolver was found missing. Once again, because Darcy and Randy were acquaintances, she was um, the ex-girlfriend to one of his really good friends. He was Mm -hmm. once again questioned. But there was no physical evidence linking him to the murder, so he was never charged. But that thirty-two revolver, remember it, because that's going to be very important later on. Following the murders, Randy committed a string of robberies throughout the Northwest. He held up a gas station wearing a fake beard. Four (laughs) nights, yeah. (laughs) Four nights later, he raided an ice cream parlor. The next night, he held up a drive through restaurant. During one of the robberies, he wore one of those Band-Aid tape things across his nose like football players wear because he thought that it wouldn't people wouldn't be able to identify him. They won't recognize me, even though you just wore one for probably your whole... Exactly. Man, the 70s were such a... And the 80s were just like the Wild West of that kind of stuff. I know. It's like... They're not going to know it's me. I have this tape right here. It's like, we know it's Nelly and he has a Band-Aid on his face. I don't <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, I miss Nelly. <laughs> the robberies started to escalate and less than a week later, he trapped a waitress in the bathroom, forcing her at gunpoint to give him a hand job. Which, ugh. Ugh. Just want to... Once again, he's wearing a fake beard. Like, that's going to make any difference. 
By January of 1981, he was given the name the I-5 Bandit. He would go on to commit numerous robberies before escalating his motives once again. So, going to give more of a trigger warning, our typical rape, murder. Next part's kind of, ugh. On January 14th, a man matching the description of the I-5 bandit broke into the home where two sisters, ages 8 and 10, were. He has sexually assaulted the girls before leaving. Didn't take anything. He just assaulted them and left. Four days later, this a man matching that same description broke into an office building where Sherry Hull and Beth Wilmot were sexually assaulted before he shot both of them. Sherry, the crime scene for the two women was very disturbing. It was awful. Both women were found naked, shot in the head. Sherry was found on the ground with blood and braid matter matted in her hair, surrounded by a pool of blood. But what he didn't expect is Beth was a badass who did everything she could to survive. She gathered herself, crawled to the phone, and called the police, despite being shot in the head twice. She descri- yeah. She described him as a strikingly handsome man, maybe six feet tall, with thick, curly brown hair and brown eyes. He was wearing jeans and a leather jacket. A police officer saw a thickly built man fitting the exact description standing in an intersection, but it was more than a mile away from the attack. So he thought, oh, it would have taken a hell of an athlete to make it that far on foot. <laughs> hell so, of an athlete. So the police officer drove on. The <sighs> weapon that was used, a thirty-two caliber revolver, just like the gun that was stolen from his second murder victim, Darcy Fix. He left the area after that, and he once again went back to Southern Oregon where he committed more robberies, assault, sexually assaulting the female clerks in them. On February 3rd, 1981, the bodies of Donna Eckerd and her 14-year-old daughter were found together in bed north of Redding, California. Each had been shot several times in the head, and her daughter had been sexually assaulted. The very same day, a store clerk was kidnapped and raped. There were six more assaults that week, where the stores were robbed and the clerks were sexually assaulted. Randy returned to Portland around Valentine's Day and planned a huge Valentine's Day party at the local Marriott. He invited all of the friends that he thought he had, acquaintances from college, you know, previous teammates, and literally no one showed up. Not one single person showed up to this party. I wonder why. He was left pissed and embarrassed. So following what he usually does, he has these feelings where he feels like he's rejected and then he escalates. He went to the home of 18-year-old Julie Wrights. They had met when he was working at a bar as a bouncer. He arrived at her home shortly after midnight on February 15th. He raped her, shot her in the head. And when the police arrived, they saw that Julie had had a glass of wine with her murderer and was in the process of making a pot of coffee when she was attacked. So she knew who he was and she was comfortable around him. So by the end of February, police are starting to put together the fact that Randy was in the area when all of these attacks were taking place. He would leave the area, 
they would stop taking place and then he'd come back and then, you know, shit would start hitting the fan again. All of the police sketches looked similar to him. And I'm going to put like a collage up of all of the police sketches and you're like, oh, yeah, look, there he is. That's that's absolutely him. Beard and Band-Aid and all. (laughs) As they were building their case against Randall, they received word from another precinct of a woman who wanted to give a statement regarding the murder of her friend and her attempted murder. So the investigators laid out a bunch of mugshots and immediately Beth, the woman he had left for dead, picked Randy out of a lineup. Randy was brought in for questioning on March 5th, 1981. A search of his apartment discovered 32 caliber bullet that matched the murder weapon and the same brand of tape that was used to bind his victims. A phone bill showed that he had been up and down the West Coast at all the times the murders were occurring. And then all of a sudden, so the detective on the case said it became obvious, like the phone bill was a map of I-5. He was addicted to calling girls on the phone. So he, quote, had a bunch of girlfriends all up and down the coast. So he would just call them. And then if he was rejected or, you know, if he didn't get the attention that he thought he deserved, a girl would be murdered. On March 16th, 1981, he was indicted for the Sherry Hole murder, along with charges in different jurisdictions for rape, sodomy, attempted kidnapping, armed robbery, illegal possession of a firearm because he was on parole. He wasn't supposed to have a gun, as well as the attempted murder of Beth. In the summer of 1981, Randy was tried in Salem for the murder of Sherry as well as charges of sodomy and attempted murder for Beth. Beth testified against him in the trial, and that was everything the jury needed to hear. They only deliberated for about three hours. She was key to the prosecution's conviction. Chris Van Dyke, son of actor Dick Van Dyke, was the Marion County, Oregon district attorney at the time, and he was the one who prosecuted the case. He would later characterize Randy as the coldest, most detached defendant he had ever seen. And on June 26, 1981, after three hours of deliberation, he was convicted on all counts and sentenced to life in prison plus 90 years. In October of 1981, a second trial was held in Benton County where he received sodomy and weapons charges tied to one of the attacks in a restaurant bathroom. Prior to this trial, his counsel attempted to move the trial to a different area, thinking like the public would have an effect on the case. The judge was like, no, he's fine. We're going to do this here. And he also wanted to hypnotize a prosecution witness to see if like she had been influenced by media coverage. (laughs) Let's hypnotize her. Yeah, like that's not how how any of this works. Dumbest thing I've ever heard. But no surprise. How? Like, I don't know. I'm sorry. That annoyed me. Yep. Randy Randy was convicted by the jury, and he had an additional 35 years added to his already instated sentence. And they were to be served consecutively, not at the same time. Not consecutively. What is the... Could Kurt... No. 
What is that word? Like one right after the other? Yeah. What is the word? Consecutively. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. For some reason, I said that and that didn't sound right. So he is now serving a 150-year sentence, 157-year sentence in the Oregon State Prison. He admits to the robberies, but states in, quote, no way I'm really innocent of this terrible murder charge. No one believes you. No. A woman named Ann Rule wrote a book about him titled The I-5 Killer, which is where he got his name from. And he lost his shit over it. He tried to sue her for a libel. He was most angry that she said that he had shark eyes, small hands, herpes, and a low IQ. <laughs> That's awesome. Anne Rule's great. She wrote um, one of the books I read about, Sheila Bellish, as well. She, uh, she, Her opinion on Randy is that at some point in his early puberty, he was sexually assaulted or like molested. And that's how that's, she stands that's by what, that. Like, trigger yeah. him. Yeah. That's what changed his like sexual desires for like to be that of like domination instead of like pleasure. So Randy tried to sue her and he was unsuccessful. Advances in DNA technology have linked him to the five additional murders, Darcy Fix, Douglas Altig, Donna Eckerd, her daughter Janelle, and Julie Wrights. He is also suspected of a murder of a woman named Mary Schlace in Wisconsin. She, during the time that he was making his way to Green Bay, Mary was found in a ditch, stabbed 15 times. She was covered in defensive wounds. Passerbyers remembered seeing a gold or tan car in the area right before her body was found. Because when she was... Did your stomach just growl? No, but a car drove by outside. <laughs> it sounded like your stomach growled. Uh, so her body was still warm when she was found, meaning that she hadn't been there for long. So this gold car theory you know was likely the suspect brandy drove a little gold vw bug so what is with serial killers driving volkswagen beetles i used so, to really want one hmm. right me too i wanted a red one i wanted to have polka dots on it like a ladybug but now i can never drive it because <laughs> i just think of serial killers i just think that that's so Ugh. even though he is only officially tied to six murders, it is estimated that his number is closer to 44. Whoa, how? Just because based on like where he was at the time, bodies that were found, but there was no DNA evidence. So the DNA evidence is like what linked him to the additional murders. All and, along I-5. Mm -hmm. And since he stands by his scout's honor, I didn't murder anybody. <laughs> He, in college, uh, a lot of people didn't believe that it was him because he was a member of, like, the FCA, like, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So he really had this facade that he was a good like, guy and, like, good pure. actor. Yeah. He joined MySpace in 2006. Ew. And his profile was the closest he ever came to admitting, like, what he did. 
What? Uh, yeah, this is what is said. Cole, I s- spend the remainder of my days in prison because I have committed a murder along with many other crimes. I once tried out for the Green Bay Packers. The only reason I didn't make it is because of the skills I had to offer. Because the skills I had to offer, they didn't need at the time. It's like, no, you didn't. You weren't good. Like, that's not entirely how it happened. Because you wouldn't stop showing people your wiener, man. He also was injured in prison by getting his ass kicked by another inmate. Good. Okay, and I'm going to add this, like, little extra part. So... Beth Wilmot was the name that was used in about 50% of the books and articles I read, including like Anne Rule's book. But Lisa Garcia was the name that was used in the other half. And I'm like major newspaper articles from around the area. So I'm not 100% sure on which person. I don't know if they had changed it or like they, you know, retracted it just because of like privacy reasons media and stuff yeah but since beth was the name used in like the books and like many of the local newspapers that's the name i went with okay but throwing it back to one of our previous episodes the playboy bunny curse in late 1979 randy was photographed like nude his he had like oil all over his muscles and gross Sent it to play girl for consideration. And that like the following May, he received a letter that said, congratulations, you have been selected for possible publication in Playgirl's guy next door feature. But he never heard any like he never heard anything back from them. And that's when the police think that like he started to murder because like the murder started like right after that. So. Like it's he didn't do well with rejection because his entire life he had been told how great he was and that he like he wasn't. Which like this also this also It's so extreme. It's like it's such I like I'm with Andrew. Like something had to have happened to him. Like to just have triggered this intense need. Yeah. And I think this also is a good like discussion point and like it's a good case to discuss how not just like in professional settings but in schools like high schools colleges where if you're one of these star athletes you don't always have to pay for your crimes like normal people do like they (laughs) if it's in another town they probably won't even know about it well, even like in high school, like they knew he had been in trouble in high school, but it was like, oh no, he's like our star. We'll just brush it under the rug. It'll be fine. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate. You see that a lot. And yeah, all the Brock Turners of the world. Exactly. Like, <sighs> it's. I'm, those gla- guys. I'm glad I have like mixed feelings with cancel culture. Obviously, like, you know, it, it's great, but it could also be like very harmful. But it's good that, like, we have a platform in 2021 where we can be like, hey, this guy is flashing himself everywhere. The schools know about it. No one's doing anything about it. Or like, hey, your star football player used to rape girls in high school or, you know, things like that. I have a real life story that relates kind of to this. And I don't know if you saw it. I posted on my own personal Instagram. but my friend. 
posted a picture of this dude and she said, Hey, this guy is getting he's getting ready to face charges. Keep a lookout for him. Essentially, like stay away from him. He's abusive. He's scary. And I posted that, and no less than six women, separately from like the people I had known that he had already abused, messaged me with horror stories about this dude. That like he had been their professor at school and then immediately messaged them as soon as class was over like he intentionally tried to get people pregnant one girl he like charged her with a he got her charged with a felony because he bit her and she kicked in her door to like or she kicked in his door to like get his her stuff and like pushed him and she she caught charges for it just crazy like that these people ugh, it's so frustrating and I hope that guy gets what's coming to him. I was infuriated. That's disgusting. Yeah, it was gnarly. And but also, the like, professor thing was just like, this guy was like allowed to, I don't know if he's not allowed anymore, but he was at some point allowed to teach. Oh, that stresses me out. I know. Just, there's so many people in the world that, are just so good at faking it like that. They're just so good at like. Yeah. And it's not even like, you know, it's not just guys that do that. There are girls that are that level of crazy too that. Ah, but you know, just be aware. You can't, people are going to find out victims, male or female are finding their voices. And if, this decade has done nothing else positive. It has given victims the platforms to be like, hey, this is what's happening to me and having safe spaces where people believe them. So, you know. Hashtag me too. Yeah. Don't be disgusting individuals, male or female. Because we're going to find out. Yeah. And, and then we're going to. We're going to come for you. <laughs> we're going to put you on blast. Yeah. Gruesome's most ludicrous of the week. We're coming for you. <laughs> most ludicrous. Oh, man. But not like the real ludicrous because. Luda. Up? <laughs> man, that makes me Well, sick. that guy sucks. Yeah. I, it's interesting that he came so far. I think that's the most interesting part of that for me is that he was. Yeah. He, he just went so hard the other way. Yeah, it's, even the robberies thing, like just robbing places, ice cream shops. Why? It's. I don't know if he just thought like that's where like you know defenseless girls would be, or and it's crazy to think like you know what would have happened or how much longer he would have been able to continue if Beth Wilmot wouldn't have been. Yeah, a it seems badass. like he preyed on the weak, you know. But he, his victimology, they were all petite girls, mid, you know, mid to early 20s, late teens. Like that was who, that was his That's who he went for. Yeah, it seems, he seems like that kind of asshole. But like he would, I mean, this one was very perplexing to me because you, it's rare. I know it happens. But it's rare that you see someone with literally the world 
at their feet, whether, and like, I get it less than 1% of the people who play sports are going to go professional. Like, you know, sorry, that's a sad, (laughs) that's a sad statistic and it sucks. And like, no one wants to like tell their kids like, Oh yeah, sorry. You're probably not going to go pro, but do your best. But he made it there. No, he didn't make it all the way. But like, that's still like impressive. And so not only was he in that one percent, he was also in the one percent of people who are serial killers. Yeah. So, so really, you know, you're doing an elite. Big things. You're an elite breed, Randy. And I hope you fuck off. <laughs> Eat shit, Randall. <laughs> Randall. <laughs> this sounds like a douchebag. It's like that monster from Monsters Inc. The mean How- one. How do you approach someone coming to you and saying, your son keeps flashing everyone? Uh, how would I approach it? Yeah. Uh, I honestly, have, I would probably put him in therapy too. But yeah. honestly, like that might be a, I, I would have to go higher than therapy. It would have to be like an inpatient kind yeah. of situation, I think. I mean. After the first time, the first time I would be like, hey, not cool. We don't do that. No way. Like this is sex offender registry. Yeah. And then when it continues, then I'm like, no, this is a problem. You are going to be like institutionalized or something Mm -hmm. or you're a danger to yourself and others at that point. And I think like I agree with Ann Rule where she, you know, Maybe he was, like, sexually abused. But it could also just be, you know, you have to teach your kids that they are great people, instill confidence in them, but teach them it's okay to lose. And someone who has never been, who has never lost, who just has this, like, I'm great, everybody loves me it becomes difficult for them to accept rejection and accept failure. There's a lot of past their ego. Yeah. And I mean, I am one of those people. I have a very hard time (laughs) of accepting that I'm not good enough for something or like I get very offended if I'm defensive. Yeah. I'm very defensive if it's like, Hey, no, I'm not a serial killer. So you can suck at rejection and still not turn out to kill people again, 1%. But. No, I'm not good at taking any kind of criticism. I cry immediately. The moment you're like, hey, uh, I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> Megan and I, for being as good of friends as we are, and we have been through really shitty situations together, we still are the worst at communicating because we're instantly <laughs> like, Mm-hmm. Don't be mad at me. Like Please if I say something that's like slightly off what I would normally say, or if I have to like be a little negative and then Connie doesn't text me back for like four hours. I'm like, well, great. She's mad at me now. She's not going to talk to me. <laughs> she quit the, the end podcast. of the podcast. <laughs> I have thought that like we haven't talked and I've been like, oh no. And, no, and we were kind of quiet. This week, we didn't talk that much this week before we recorded. And I, I, when I, I texted you today and I was like, hey, I know I've been quiet this week. It's me, not you. Yeah. It's, it's been crazy weeks for both of us. And 
you know, it's going to keep. Remember how we said in June that it was just so nuts for us and really hasn't let up. Guys. No. And then we are closing on a house, which is super exciting. I've waited a very long time for this. <laughs> we did it. I finally found a house and it's just our end went smoothly, but like the sellers are, you know, they still have to live there, which is dope. I mean, I'm happy for them that they found a place too, because it's a crazy market, but it's just has slowed the process a little bit. And it's that weird, we're in that weird spot where it's like, I don't want to pack, but like, I need to, I have stuff going on. And so did they list their house before they bought a new house? No, they were already under contract, but they're, so when you get a house appraisal, it's pretty much an automated system. And sometimes you get lucky and have an appraisal. Like our appraisal was the very next day, but their appraisal took a long time. Oh, okay. So that's what grown up stuff is hard. Yeah. And I suck at handling adult things, but if you multiply that by 5 million, my husband sucks at like <laughs> the stress of adult things even more. So it's been, and we have school starting, Meg is starting, you know, dental hygiene school, which is snaps for Meg. Snaps for me. I'm very nervous. You're going to do I awesome. I almost cried like four times thinking about that today. <laughs> So send good vibes to your gruesome girls this week because <laughs> we're losing it, man. <laughs> yeah, we got, you know, my baby's turning three. Our babies are turning three. Yeah, our kids are six days apart. <laughs> our babies are turning three next month. We have, you know, your daughter's starting second grade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. My son's starting second grade. My oldest is in middle school. And he had to have a locker. He has body odor. And it's just a lot. Like it's <laughs> You know, as long as he's not flashing people, I think we're in a good spot. You know what? Now that I think of it, that's really good. <laughs> but you don't realize the panic you have. So all I guess a lot of our, you know, our listeners with kids, it is back to school time, whether you homeschool or virtual school or in-person school. This is a crazy time. And our I am manifesting good things for you guys because I went to my son's school yesterday for his open house and my son is like me. He can be outgoing, but in new situations, he gets very quiet and he was very quiet, which like worried me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never seen him like this. They have lockers, which I have to write down all of his locker stuff so he has it tomorrow. And then they're like, actually, he was in middle school last year, but they didn't change classes because of COVID. So he's got to go to different classes. Go to different classes now. And the lockers. Remember though, like when you first started doing that, and you you thought like, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get the hang of this. And he did. He figured it out. I think my biggest concern, and I know this is like not a legitimate like thing, I should be up at night over because I have been is the fact that his locker is not big and he is messy as hell and I can just see the chaos in my <laughs> How head gross it's gonna be oh my gosh and you know he shut up he's got different sizes and like I said he stinks now which is a big thing because it's like you can't have the kids <laughs> he that smell stinks I was like you have to wear deodorant when do I start having them wear cologne I know most people are fragrance free these days I get it but how do I make a middle school kid not smell like a ball sack so maybe just like get him a bottle or something to keep in his locker 
I set him uh, deodorant in his backpack. And I was like, oh, you have perfect. to just do the, just the. Give, give yourself a, a one, two check. Just, that, just smell check. So yeah, that's it for us. You're for, a good mom. It's okay. You're all good moms. You're all good dads. Your kids are going to be fine. If you're listening to true crime, you're probably not raising a serial killer. Unless you're no. doing it on purpose. In that case, you're Whoa. probably you're not. Yeah. Weird, right? I never thought of that before, but just now. A tiny serial killer army? Like you're molding your children into. Too. That's not going to be up. awesome, but we're going to cover you one day if that's the case. <laughs> All right. Good night. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, and you'd like us to keep putting out ad-free content, here are some of the ways that you can help support Gruesome. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us, and you get a I-knew-them-before-they-were-famous moment. Follow Gruesome Podcast on Instagram and talk to us on our posts. Engage with us. We love to hear from you there. If you'd like to send a donation, we have a Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and to gain access to exclusive Patreon perks. If a one-time donation is more your thing, you can find our Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and our PayPal using our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether or not that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.